First Peter chapter 1, we'll read three verses, and you'll note one word that stands out in each of these three verses. Praise God for a living hope today. That hope that makes not ashamed. Time destroys most hopes. They fade and die. What a shame when your hope dies before you do. But we have an eternal hope. We have the God of hope that is our refuge and strength today. The passing of time does nothing at all to erode but in fact only make more glorious the hope that we have in God. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he hath given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the time, at the last time. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 21, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. We want to examine this this morning, this one of three elements of the Christian life that endures. 1 Corinthians 13 closes that chapter by saying, now these three things abide forever faith hope and love and we want to talk about the heart of those three this morning and when we do we need first to define what we mean by biblical hope in contrast to what may be spoken in the English language or understood by most when we say well I hope so there's an element of question mark about that it may indeed be wishful thinking, but when we examine biblical hope, it's made up of two things. One is desire, and two, expectation. It is the very foundation of our faith, because the Bible says, now then, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And when we examine this scriptural uh, element this morning of hope, it has no, no question mark behind it, but there's an exclamation point. There is something absolute and certain about our hope. It is steadfast, Hebrews says, and it is sure. It is provided as an anchor for our soul. When things become stormy and turbulent, it is this element that holds us Steady, it is steadfast and secure. When we are without God, Ephesians 2 says, we are without hope in this world. But because we have received Jesus Christ, it is Christ 
in you that is the hope of glory. There's nothing uncertain about that. There's no wishful thinking about that. You see, you can desire something without expecting it to happen. You can say, well, we're hoping for the best, but we're expecting the worst. And that's kind of wishful thinking, but our hope we have in Jesus Christ is absolutely secure and certain, and we can rest on the rock-solid basis and foundation of our hope. Jesus is coming back. There's nothing uncertain about that blessed hope. That glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in that dimension, I would ask you this morning, what are you hoping for? If I were to issue you paper and pencil and, and say, now faith, faith is a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, what is it then that you are hoping for? In your spiritual experience, could you identify by a list of priorities to say, Pastor, these are the things I desire and I expect from God, and I'm going to exercise the faith he gives me to make my possession that which God makes available to me. Is there something in your life that you would identify to say, Yes, I have no trouble prioritizing what my hopes are in God. And I set my faith in that direction. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If we're not hoping for anything, we don't need much faith. If there's nothing you really are expecting or hoping for in God, then it doesn't require any faith. We can walk through the life in a natural stride and not miss anything, but there are things that can only come supernaturally. I'm so glad my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's no wishful thinking about biblical hope. There is an expectancy, a desire, a confident expectation that it will indeed come to pass. So we want to define hope this morning and then talk about hope's discipline. Hope's discovery where we find this hope and hope demonstrated. Hope deferred, the Bible talks about when we have that desire and expectation and it's not fulfilled immediately or in our time frame something happens sometimes to that hope and we can abandon what God wants to do too prematurely. So in defining hope we really need to appreciate the fact that hope is the very breath of life. In the natural and in the supernatural, it is the very breath of life. There's no mystery about the fact that in the Latin, the same word is used for I breathe and I hope. Spiro, I breathe. Spiro, I hope. So that without hope, man suffocates and he will die of despair. We need as believers to live as people of hope. and Keep that alive in our heart. Dr. Harold Kirstner was a physician who was captured by the Viet Cong and spent five and a half years in a prison camp there. And during his time, much of what he did to, to keep his own sanity was observe how his other prisoners of war were coping with their incarceration and how they dealt with hope and hopelessness. 
He wrote in an article about a man that he identified by the name of Ronald. And he said he came from a very uh, disciplined marine group, a crack uh, outfit. He was physically fit, even though he had been there for two years and had dropped in weight to 120 pounds. He was still always up. And although he made a long trek with a heavy load every day, it didn't seem to matter. He had a good attitude about life. And as he talked to him, he discovered that the reason for this attitude was he really expected that very soon he was going to be released. He had been led to believe by some of those officers over him that in a six-month period of time, if he was a model a prisoner, that they would release some of those men that... Uh, they didn't find difficult to work with and he was living for that day when in hope he would be released from that camp well six months came and went and he began to see a change in the in the officers attitude toward him and it was made very clear they had no intentions of releasing him from that prisoner of war camp dr. Kirstner said he took to his bed he stopped eating and he lost all interest he became depressed they often either hit him or hugged him to try to shake him from that despair. And he said, one cold December day he died in my arms. He said he gave up hope and he died of despair. Hope is indeed an essential element to our lives, either physically or spiritually. Dr. Carl Rector of the Johns Hopkins University has done some experiments and some of you if you've opened your textbook psychology one in that first chapter it tells about his experiments with Norwegian rats domestic and wild and he took those wild rats and dropped them in beakers of water and they could tread water and swim up to 60 hours but he said if you took that same rat and held it in your hands real tightly and he would, he would move and struggle against this giant that held him captive until finally he would stop struggling. Then if you dropped him in the same beaker of water, he would drop to the bottom like lead and never even try because he had given up in despair. They've done the same kind of experiments, not only with rats, but chickens and monkeys and even cockroaches. And even they know the difference between hope and despair. Dr. Richter said he would do experiments with those with those rats and he would put them in the water and then rescue them and then suddenly put them back in they could tread water again for several days and then with some hope of of some intervention some rescue they would continue until almost exhaustion he would rescue them out and give them mouse to mouth resuscitation <laughs> put them back in the water and they would go again for another 60 hours as long as there was introduced into their system the element of hope where there is life there is hope they've done experiments that hope is medicinal that for those who have hope and expectation that it releases uh, prolactin and other other uh, elements into the system to help defeat infection and disease and those who are trapped in different places because they have hope provides in their physical bodies an ability to overthrow infection and and to live in spite of great adversity 
as believers, we need to understand the element that abides forever. This element of hope is a very critical one for us. And we hope in God. I uh, picked up a little pamphlet that from the Joy Fellowship yesterday, whoever prepared the table settings had a little scripture verse by each of the ladies' plate, and I retrieved my wife's, and it was from Jeremiah 17, 7, and it says, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Isn't that a good verse? I just kind of took that as a little confirmation of what the Lord wanted to say to us today. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. We put our trust and confidence in him. And to define that, it is the essence of life. It is the breath of life. Without it, we suffocate and we die of despair. But I'm so glad this morning that we have been given a living, living hope. It is not a dead hope this morning, but it is as alive as our God. He is eternal, and our hope in God is eternal as well. Now, the second verse that I read to you from 1 Peter 1 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Jesus Christ is revealed. That means, King James says, gird up the loins of your mind. Pull, pull your thoughts together. Have a disciplined mind. And there is the discipline of hope. Be sober-minded, calm, controlled, steady. Don't uh, get carried away or intoxicated when life begins to fall apart because of an undisciplined thought life. But set your hope fully on the Lord. I shared this verse with men, the men at prayer breakfast about a month and a half ago. And uh, I'm not accustomed to, to NIV and I'm using that to minister to you this morning, but if you will turn back with me in the scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I saw something here that read totally different than the King James, and, and I like the way this passage reads, with relationship to our hope in God. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness or godly training has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That has to do with the future. Not only hope for today, but hope forever. And so the instruction of this passage that struck my attention was in the phrase train yourself to be godly train yourself and then he uses the physical illustration to help us understand it physical training he says profits some it has some advantage but spiritual training profits in every way not only for the present but also for the future now, there's a difference between trying and training. And let me suggest to you this morning that it's not in how hard you try to be godly, but it is in your training 
to be godly. Let me amplify that just a little bit. You know the difference between trying and training. If I were to look this morning at, at Jim Harry and say to him, Jim, you have the potential to be the next Olympic boxing champion. And he believes me. So he shows up in Australia for their next Olympic meet and he enters the boxing competition. What do you think will happen? He's going to try. He's going to try his best. He's going to try his hardest. But, sorry Jim, but I don't think that'll be enough. It will not be because he has not tried or because perhaps he does not have the capability or potential to be the next Olympic champion, but he will be up against men perhaps of lesser skill, lesser talent or lesser ability, but who have been spending every day in the gym doing road work and rope work, and they have been sparring and they are in shape and condition. How many of us have ever seen a boxer overweight and, and out of wind, and he's trying, but he hasn't been? Train yourself to be godly. It's not a matter of your trying to be, but it's a matter, have you been training yourself to be godly? And so it's, there's a difference between trying. You can try your best, but it's not in how hard you try. It's in the training. Those things you do over and over and over again, consistently, faithfully, every day, you are exercising yourself unto godliness and the things that you do repetitively, the basics that you do, you spend that time with God in prayer, you spend time in his word in study, you spend time in worship and in praise and you are training yourself to be godly. When you're in training it's not so much in what you try to do but you have been trained to do and there's a difference isn't there? in bringing your mind under the discipline, bringing your, 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 your thoughts under the control and discipline of the Holy Spirit as it relates to our hope. Train yourself to be godly. I tell you what, when the fight comes and we will find our adversaries, the difference will be at that moment not how hard you try but how well you've trained for that moment. The difference between your success and failure, your victory or defeat will not be upon how hard you try but on how hard you have been training. Let me ask you this morning if your if your victory or defeat depended on how well you knew the book of Deuteronomy, how well would you fare? When the enemy came in that wilderness experience in Jesus' temptation and confronted him, the three verses that he came back with him, it is written, all came from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus was so saturated with the word of God, he had trained his mind and his heart in the truth of God's word that immediately he was able to respond. Not that he was trying, he had trained himself. In the Word of God, he knew what the Bible had to say. And at that moment, you're going to stand or fall based upon how well you have trained yourself for that moment. Train yourself to be godly. Just like physical training profits 
has some value. He said spiritual training will assist you to be godly. How well are you in training? How many know that you have to keep it up? That if you abandon your discipline for just a little bit of time, what happens to your training? Does it stay static ever? Does your physical training stay static if you give it up for a week or two? How many know either you're going forward or you're going backward? You can't stay in one place. In your spiritual training, it is not possible for you just to stay static. If you give up on your exercise program for a week, two weeks, you won't notice it perhaps till you go back to it then you realize how short your breath is, how, how sore you are all over again. Because you've got, to, you've got to come back to where you were. You've got to exert a lot of energy just to come back to the level you were before, before you go on any further. And I tell you, spiritually, the same thing is true. You cannot neglect your Bible study and your prayer life and your worship of God and keep static in your experience. You're moving forward in God or you're losing ground. And when you get back to it, you're going to have to double the discipline. How many know if you're on a diet and you blow it for about a week and a half, you're not going to stay static? You're going to have to exercise even more discipline than ever before just to get back to where you were, let alone make any progress. And it's that way spiritually. You've got to train yourself to be godly. And when you give up on the disciplines, then you're going to regress. Your, we call it backsliding. And friend, that's not meaning you're losing your salvation. But when you lose your training, you're going to lose the battle. You're going to be confronted with an adversary you're going to be overweight and out of wind and you're just not going to be able to do it. You're going to try. We've got a lot of Christians trying, but it's not in the trying, it's in the training. It's in the training. And you don't stay static in your experience. You're either moving ahead or you're losing ground. And we have to remember how crucial our daily training time is. Some other verses that I'd like for you to mark as we uh, examine this portion of the training process. 1 Timothy, or rather 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 reads different for me in the NIV. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, in righteousness, all scripture is given, God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped to every good work. That word again appears, training in righteousness. Hebrews 5:14. write that verse down next to it. But he's talking about those who have been eating milk of the word. And he's saying newborn babes, the diet that they enjoy as they grow is milk. But he said meat belongs to those who have grown a little and who have moved beyond breastfeeding. And now they're, they're going to eat at the table 
more solid food, and that's what he's talking about here in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. They have trained themselves, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Same process. Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Those series of scriptures go together to help us understand. And don't you think this morning that if God is giving to us physical parents this kind of instruction in the procedure of training our children that our Heavenly Father would not use the same processes to train his kids? Now on that last verse in Proverbs 22, the, the Hebrew word for train, some of you might be aware, means to touch the palate. Now, if you stick your finger in your mouth, don't do it now, but if you were to stick your finger in your mouth, you find a hard part of the roof of your mouth. If you keep moving it back, you find a soft spot. That's the palate. And if you keep moving it back slowly, something will happen. It triggers a, a swallowing reflex. And so a Jewish mother, when she wanted to wean her baby, would take something of a new kind of nourishment and with her finger she would scoop it up and slip it in that baby's mouth and push it back into the palate and that reflex action would would take it in and swallow it and in that way she would begin to train that child away from the milk and onto more solid food oh taste and see that the Lord is good now you need to understand she did not take her finger and jam it down the child's throat. But she gently introduced it to that child's palate and they smacked their lips. And you see, I believe we turn our kids off sometimes because we have the attitude, now you sit still while I instill. And we give them family devotions like we would give them cod liver oil. A dose a day keeps the doctor away. But oh, there's a better way, church, and that is to introduce that something fresh from God to their palate. And I believe that this morning. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been here. And by the, the finger of the Spirit, he's taking for some in a new way and a step beyond the milk and beginning to introduce you into a more solid diet and the way he does that he takes the finger of the spirit and just places it on your palate and you say mmm I like that I have a little two-year-old grand
first time? And when you just take that, I didn't use my fingers, but you put it in his mouth and he would say, Papa, more! Now that's the, the Mediterranean Irish coming out, you know. <laughs> Papa, more! What is he saying? Mmm, that was good. I want some more. Let me tell you something. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Young people this morning, if you're not satisfied with Jesus, you've never really had a good taste of him. Oh, you may have been to church, and you may have sung the songs, and you may have gone through the rituals, and you might have experienced some of, of what's taking place, but if you're not satisfied, I'm telling you, you've never really had a good taste of Jesus. Because if you do, you'll be spoiled for the husk of this world forever. Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long have craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. By his blood I now am saved. Hallelujah. Oh, I thirsted in the barren lands of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found, but to the blessed cross of Christ. One day I came where springs of living water. Jesus said, if you drink this water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. And I, I somehow believe that God, the Holy Spirit, is in the training process this morning, and he's taking something fresh and new from the table and touching your palate and leading you into new dimensions of understanding who you, if you will use it constantly, who use it constantly will train themselves in right and wrong. There's a similar verse of scripture, Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Again, if this is an instruction to physical parents and how to train their kids, sparing the rod spoils the child, don't you think that our Heavenly Father follows the same kind of guidelines for his kids? So for some of us this morning, he's taking his finger and touching our palate. For others, he's taking his hand and touching somewhere else. And it's not pleasant, but painful. But he said, oh, that's the, that's the road to productivity. It's the road to fruitfulness. Because we have been trained by a wise heavenly father. Does not seem pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it is, produces a harvest of righteousness. A great degree of fruitfulness in our lives. And peace for those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah. Don't abandon the discipline. Train yourself to be godly. I'm telling you, the key to godly living is not trying your best, but training. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Training, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not in trying, it's in training. Stay with it every day. Time with God. Time in the Word. You can't just show up on Sunday morning and live victorious. 
can't do it. It's in the training. And whatever's going to be coming upon our land, we're as a church and individuals going to need the training in godliness. So it is the discipline of hope, the discovery of hope, Romans 15. Would you turn there? Two verses of scripture. Romans 15, verse 4 and 13. I'll read from the first part of the chapter while you're finding it. Romans 15, 1. We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Here it is. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures you might have hope. So that encouragement, endurance of the scriptures you might have hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Two things there, the Word and the Spirit. Where will your hope be generated? Through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures. It won't come from any outside external force or place, but from the Word and by the Spirit of God. That will bring a hope into your soul and a hope into your spirit. Hallelujah. Look for the hope you need. The things you need to expect and desire from God let the word create that expectation and when you put your trust in that you exercise your faith in the word faith comes by what hearing hearing by the word of God and faith and hope are connected the two together and as you read God will open up to you this is what you need you begin to desire and expect and faith reaches out to receive and claim it isn't that wonderful the hope comes from the word by the spirit. And so you approach this with that understanding. Don't neglect the word. Get the dust off. Blow the dust away. Get back in the, in the Bible. Find what does God have to say to my heart. Then faith that is uh, demonstrated is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32 and it'll illustrate, illustrate just what I finished saying to you. Jeremiah 32, verse 6. The first few verses illustrate how bleak and hopeless it was for Jeremiah personally and for Jerusalem nationally. They were under siege by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And uh, Jeremiah had been prophesying to this people for 30 years. Not one person ever answered the altar. That's got to be a discouraging thing for those people to have such a stelosis of, the, of their spirit, so hard in their heart and their spirit that they refused to accept anything that God had inspired him to say. They, in fact, he was in prison, not because he was a felon, but because he had faithfully declared the word of the Lord. 
And he is in that setting when verse 6 comes. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hananiel, son of Shalem, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, By my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative it is your right and duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hananiel came to me. God knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? This man who was confined and had no ability to go anywhere, God said, you're going to have a visitor. Your nephew is going to come and he has a real estate proposition to make to you. You need to understand Jewish law. Once the inheritance had been given to them by Joshua, it was not to be sold outside their family. It was a disgrace to sell your inheritance. So they needed money and they had tried, I guess, everyone else. And the only one they had left to try was Jeremiah. And he came to this pathetic prisoner, prophet, and said, We're out of funds. Would you buy the field at Anatoth? And you'd understand at that particular time, Nebuchadnezzar and his soldiers are bivouacked right there on that family farm. So it is in enemy hands at the moment. Will you buy the land? And surprisingly, Jeremiah took whatever money he had left and weighed out about 16 shekels of silver, about two pounds of silver, which was not a bargain price, but the market price for the land at that time, and purchased the field. And in verse 16, 15, for this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, has said, houses and fields, vineyards will again be brought in this land. And after that he gave the deed of purchase, Tabarak, the son of Nerah, I prayed to the Lord, and I like this prayer. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and of outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We sing that chorus, don't we? But in this particular setting, God had said to Jeremiah, I want you to know, although it seems hopeless in the current political, military scene, I want you to know that one day, Houses and vineyards and people are going to populate this place again. Uh, he had no wife. He had no heir. He would not live to see it. He had prophesied that all the inhabitants would be carried away into Egypt, which they were, where he would die. He would never live to see it happen, but he believed that God's word had spoken and he was willing to invest in hope in the future in spite of what looked absolutely hopeless. Hallelujah. Well, you see, Pastor, what does a real estate transaction that took place 2,600 years ago have to do with us this morning? I believe everything. Because we still have God's word to stand on. Even though I may not see it in my day, Jesus is coming back again. Although I may not see some things in my day, I believe it. And I'm going to invest in the future because I believe that's where my hope is. I believe that's where my hope is. 
They tore down the temple, they tore down the walls, destroyed the houses, carried the people away. But there came a day, 70 years later, when vineyards were replanted, the temple was rebuilt, the walls were reestablished, and God maintained that place for one century and two centuries until one day a little boy, 12 years of age, came to the temple, confounded those doctors of the law, came back 20 years later on Palm Sunday riding into that city they cried Hosanna a week later he was nailed on the cross buried in the tomb God had a purpose for that city that would not be destroyed hallelujah Jeremiah go ahead and buy the field because I'm not finished with Jerusalem. God's plan was far in the future, farther than what Jeremiah could see. Hallelujah. God still has plans for Jerusalem. And I watch the news with interest because that's the city of God. And I believe some things will happen. My hope is that one day on a white horse, I'm coming back. To Jerusalem that's my hope and he will reign for a thousand years in that city hallelujah my hope is in God why from the scriptures from the scriptures hope deferred Proverbs says makes the heart sick if you have something you're hoping for and it's not happening in your time Sometimes you get discouraged and say, oh, what's the use? I give up. It's never going to happen. Second Peter says, you be careful about that as it regards to the coming of the Lord. Some people will scoff and say the Lord delays his coming. Things continue on as they always have and nothing's ever going to change. But he said, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's giving you the reason why he's delayed. It's not without purpose. Don't give up your hope. And on a smaller scale, whatever it is God has spoken to your heart, whatever your desire and expectation is, and it hasn't happened in your time frame, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Sometimes you get so discouraged and say, ah, oh, what's the use? Don't cast away your confidence. Let your hope be steadfast and sure. There's an exclamation point there. There's no question about it. He'll do it if he said it. He'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. Father, I pray you'll help us digest what you have placed before us today. And the challenge of our heart is this morning that we would train ourselves to be godly. Lord, I pray we'll understand what that's all about. That you'll help us, Lord, to appreciate through the physical illustrations of life how critical it is to the spiritual part of what we do. 